Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights, here with Dr. Torsten Bauer from Germany. Looking forward to having his expertise again. We're talking by Zoom, but first, thanks, sponsors. Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Card, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. The hobby has become worldwide. That's a good thing. One of the things that Torsten has done an excellent job of is uh, summarizing his thoughts and sending them to me. And I just think, wow, I want to dig into that further. He had an excellent paper that he wrote, uh, not long, but uh, with enough detail that I could see that there was a lot to discuss about the transferable skills of if you're a collector. I think this is the greatest hobby, but it doesn't stop there. As you experience the hobby and enjoy the hobby, there are things that you pick up that would be of value to you in your career, perhaps. Just to start out, you've written this and it's your own personal experience that you feel like you really benefited in many ways in your educational pursuits and in your career pursuits from having the, the hobby sports card collecting experience. So welcome, Torsten. And Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about your educational background and whether or not you already knew English at some point. When I started collecting basketball cards, it was just about the time that English got introduced as our second language at school. And by then, our vocabulary was weak, of course, but because everything involving basketball cards and basketball was written in English. So I had big motivation to learn the words, learn the expressions. This really helped me also later on because English was also important during my studies. I studied physics and later also uh, did a PhD and wrote a couple of papers. And, and those were written in English, of course. I also uh, had a research stay at Washington, D.C couple of months. And yes, it, it helped to be able to communicate effectively and write effectively in English. So some of your, your theoretical nuclear physics papers had to be in English? The, the problem is the community is, is very small for those papers. If you, if you wrote them in, in German, so the community would be even smaller. So, Well, and my, when I got a PhD, and in many of the PhD programs in America, it depends on the field, but they will require you to have a second language. Was that the case with you? In Germany, you, you have to have a second language to uh, graduate from high school. That is usually English. And during university, it's not required anymore. Uh, most of our courses were in German. But then when you go on and do your PhD, then it's somewhat required. The other language that, that counted for that was computer language. I'm wondering if you had that same experience. I was required to, in a PhD in statistics, to have some programming capability with the various computer languages. Not just software literacy, but the ability to understand programming. That was almost like a second language, not a speaking language, but a way of talking to the computers. Did you have some requirements for that? Actually, we, we didn't have any requirement, but I had it as a, a minor study, so to speak. It was uh, computer studies, but it was theoretical computer studies. But when I went on to write my thesis, I had to learn some computer studies. But we, we also had that at school. So this is where I learned a couple of languages. But then, of course, I was uh, learning some at my PhD as well. I'm an exhaustive collector, an international collector from back when I was doing the price guide. So there's a number of cards I have in my collection that when you flip them over to the backside of the card, they're in Italian or they're in Spanish or German or Japanese or some other language. And I'm just wondering, don't speak all those languages. I did take other languages. I took German and Spanish and Latin. Like I said, I did programming, but they, they weren't really required. But I believe they're a benefit. So if someone's listening to this and English is their first language, but their only language, I think they're missing out on a greater understanding of 
concepts and meaning, both on the other foreign language, speaking language, or reading and writing language, as well as computer language. So for me, being able to flip the back of the card over, I've got to be able to tell whether it's Spanish or Italian. I know enough Spanish to recognize Spanish. I know enough Italian or Portuguese even, which is very similar to Spanish. So so I think these are skills I picked up on uh, reading the backs of cards. And just think there's American collectors that don't worry about a second language when I think it would be of benefit to perhaps even increasing their IQ. I think it's a stretching kind of thing. So my point is when you're collecting, you're doing some programming tasks that you learned about computer programming because you did something with your Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal collection. That's funny. When we had computer studies at school, I just needed something to apply it to because only if you apply it, then you really learn it. I started to program a web page of Shaq with a little quiz in Java. I also learned to do sheets in Excel. I used Word for the very first time when I just wrote the things that I found on the back of my Shaq cards, those uh, trivia and information. I, I just noted them in Word and self-taught those skills. Yeah. Which maybe they're trivial, but when you're young and you start off, You have to do it. You and I are both sitting here with PhDs, and basically, we wouldn't have gone that route if we didn't find a way to make it fun to be mm -hmm. studying things that we enjoyed, that we were good at. I think there's some correlation with just having an attitude of enjoying learning and the new facts. One of the things you mentioned in your letter to me was about learning a novel sport. And for you, that was basketball. But for many of the listeners now, they're seeing what's happening in soccer, which is well established in Germany and, and in Europe and, and South America. <clears throat> but it's not as strong in the sports card field. But there have to be a lot of people that are collecting, that are seeing what's going on in soccer, think I want to participate in collecting soccer cards. And they find themselves in the same situation you were in 25 years ago with coming into basketball. Would that be true? That is exactly true. When I was young, I used to play soccer a little bit, but I was not really good at it. So I, I dropped soccer. But when I was into basketball cards, I slowly got interested in playing basketball. My parents bought me a basket, so that was nailed to the wall. So I started to shoot some hoops. And I was lucky enough that I had an English teacher who was also a basketball teacher and was a big fan of the NBA. So I learned some of the rules. I asked him, what is a free throw? What is an NBA draft? And, and everything. Huh? What is the three-point line? He told me. And, and so I learned. And I also learned from the back of the cards, from the magazines. And, and I started to play. And then some friends also started to play and, and yeah so it became my biggest hobby for a while playing basketball when i was younger again to contrast with soccer i think soccer is one of the easiest sports to get started and participate in but it's one of the most difficult to be highly skilled <laughs> and really understand yeah. the flow of the game i'm wondering when you got into basketball you somehow gravitated toward shaquille o'neal Just like some of the soccer players are going toward Messi or Ronaldo or Maradona, the biggest names. But there's more to it than Shaq. There's more to it than just these very top tier soccer stars. That's what I worry about in learning a new sport is not just all the rules, but who the personalities are, who are the, the most collectible and beyond the obvious most collectible players, who, who are the other ones, some of the other teammates. When you were learning the sport, First, you start out learning the superstars yeah. and the rules, and then you came to appreciate more and more. That is true. I bought the magazines and, and also checked the statistics on the back of the cards. Then I learned what does it mean to be a good player? What kind of statistics do you have to 
bring. Then I learned the teams and I learned the, the players of the teams, of course. That's how it goes. The magazines that we put out that you got that were dis- distributed internationally, we tried to have something in there for, like, example, the basketball magazine. It's for the cards, but it we also would have coverage of the sport, not to compete with a newspaper or the television, but some in-depth articles about why someone would be collectible and We'd have to mention their performance and why people would collect them so aggressively. I think you appreciated that. I think a lot of people did because it wasn't just yes. only a price guide, which was what people were telling me when I started. Just do a price guide. That's all people care about. But I think it's more than that. They care about the sport. You're agreeing with that. Yes. To, to this day, I like to read some old articles in the Beckett magazines. Still still have them. Yes. Well, people <laughs> want to not just read them. They want to go buy the stuff at those prices, Torsten. <laughs> Yes. And some of the the other thing they've done is they've gone back to look at some of the set reviews and things yeah. were in the hot lists and just seeing that how things have changed. It's pretty amazing. When you get a PhD, it's not just because you're smart. There's different kinds of intelligences, but you also almost regardless of what field you have to be organized. What benefits do you think you got in your organizational skills that translated into your career and educational accomplishment from organization were you sorting the cards or is it more of the trading and buying and selling like i said i, I used excel sheets to categorize cards and i also made some charts and, and compared values and compared statistics for example of different players I, i changed my sorting sometimes according to sets sometimes according to players that changed you have to be organized and, and you have to have a certain attitude i think so you have to know what you want and what you're still looking for what you already have what other people are looking for so you can trade with them. So if I know somebody has a cool check card and he's collecting Grant Hill, for example, so maybe I have to first get some Grant Hills from a third party to then trade with him for the check cards. You, you have to really know and, and be smart about it. I would say there's more and more products available and apps and things like that for collectors now. But back in my day and in your day as well, if you wanted to do something analytical with the hobby, like you said, you had to do your own Excel spreadsheet. You had to learn Excel. If you were doing any kind of a markup language or web pages or anything like that, and I don't think you were hiring somebody to help you with your hobby. You were learning <laughs> no. it yourself. That's what I did for the longest time until it got just too big where I needed to have an IT department, at which case my programming uh, was handed off to the more expert. But it's fun to take on a new project. I, I just can't imagine that somebody's going to hire somebody to help them with their hobby. They're going to enjoy the hobby themselves. But now there's some off-the-shelf products that allow you to to do some of that analytical work. I haven't used those yet, but for example, the newer stuff, I recently started an Instagram page and having some fun with that, uploading pictures, writing little tasks under the pictures. Another thing you mentioned was about negotiation skills and three-way trades. If you're a young person, that's sophisticated to think I've got to get the Grand Hills in order to get the, what I really want, the Shaquille O'Neal's. But people are doing that, just like in the NBA itself. Sometimes a third team needs to come in to the trade to make the salary cap work. You have to have something that everybody wants. It has to be a win. And rather than that being more complicated, it actually sometimes makes it easier to get the deal done. So you were doing that in Germany ahead of your time. The other thing you pointed out, because it sounds like from your educational Uh, achievement, you would be pretty analytical. But you understand the relational aspect that you can't burn the bridge. A fair trade is uh, sometimes in the perception that the value, when the magazine came out, two cards 
could be worth uh, $10 each in the magazine. Ostensibly, that would be a fair trade. But the problem would be if one of the $10 cards was on its way up and the other $10 card was on its way down. Now, you wouldn't necessarily think that might be the case, but you wouldn't know for sure. If you were always getting it right, (laughs) then uh, your trading partners would not want to trade with you anymore. I have found frequently now as I go into more shows is that I actually prefer to buy cards from people that I like. (laughs) And I don't enjoy buying cards from people that I don't like. So if someone has a good is trying to make good deals and fair deals, then I'd like to give them some of my business. And I want to get a good deal, but I want to pay a fair price. And if they say, I want $100 for these cards, and I don't want to say, oh, would you take 50? I want to just say, okay, here's $100. That's fair. Then they're looking forward to doing business with me again. Germany, the collecting community must be even smaller. At its peak, I had maybe 10 to 20 co-collectors with whom I could trade. So this is a very small communities. And if you have a bad reputation, for example, we were kids, so we didn't exactly know which card was which. Was it a frequent flyers or frequent flyers upgrade or yeah. a refractor? And, and if I knew it was a better card, but when I do it all the time and, and trade a better card for a worse card because I know better than somebody else, then nobody wanted to trade with me anymore. So I couldn't do that. So this is something you learn quickly that a trade should be fair and you should build a good reputation for building win-win situations, like you said. Yeah, I think as you bring that up, you shouldn't be penalized for having more knowledge. That doesn't seem fair either. On the other hand, when it becomes very one-sided, and if they ask you, if they said, hey, how come you want this one? And you say, because it's a refractor. <laughs> and so I didn't know it was a refractor. Then, but if they didn't ask you, then would you have to volunteer that, oh, let me tell you why I'm interested in this card, because it's the frequent flyer upgrade. It's much tougher than just the base card or it's members only, or one of these other Mm. things. Slightly different, some of the color variations. I I struggle with that within certain limits, especially if you're having a recurring trading partner. 